All right. So, Mike, thanks for having me today. I'm Greg Edwards. I'm the CEO and founder of Crypto Stopper, and I've I've had a, a long and varied technology background. So I started a managed service provider in 1998 and uh, still own and run that today and then have started two other SaaS businesses out of that MSP and the most recent is Crypto Stopper. Okay, cool. So Crypto Stopper, um, I'm guessing, well, I'm not guessing since I did do a little bit of research, but but ransomware defense. Um, I actually did watch the little video too on, on, on WannaCry. So, um, you know, ransomware, obviously big thing, right? One of the more existential threats for businesses these days, I think. Um, what, what, I guess, what made you get into to ransomware? What made you, you know, start? Yeah, so, well, so the, the previous SaaS company that I started was an offsite backup and disaster recovery company. And so we started seeing ransomware attacks within the backup company as far back as 2012. And uh, I ended up selling that in 2016 to a company called J2 Global and then really focused on the managed service business that I owned. And one of the things that we built was a, a actually a PowerShell script at the time to be able to stop ransomware. So we were seeing ransomware attacks within uh, the managed services business and wanted a better way rather than just relying on backup of of stopping them because it's constantly getting past av and so uh so built a powershell script and then that that was in 2017 and then that morphed into a full application and then launching crypto stopper as a product to other msps uh actually last year sure so you mentioned backups and 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 obviously you mentioned crypto stopper which is a number of things i'm sure under the hood um, can you walk me through, at least in your mind, um, and I'm sure you've got a pretty good grip on, on, on what this is, but essentially what are, what are the core, what are the fundamentals of stopping ransomware? Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about layered security and I, I don't propose that crypto stopper is the silver bullet. It's just the last line of defense to be able to stop ransomware. And really you don't want crypto stopper to ever actually have to work sure. because at that point it's gotten through all of the other defenses. So um, things that are critically important are patch management, um, the, I think EDR and a, a security operations center behind the scenes is really important. Good hygiene, multi-factor authentication. I mean, the, the full layered defense in depth of security and and working toward a zero trust environment. So, would you consider Crypto Stopper a a very specific um, or I guess specialized uh, agent in the EDR realm? Yeah. So it's really what it really is is file integrity monitoring that has automated triggers. So we deploy uh, we deploy bait files. And then we're monitoring those bait files plus monitoring the native files for ransomware behavior and then stopping the process that's actually running that ransomware attack. And so um, when you think of it in the scenario of EDR and, I, and I've used EDR products uh, as far back as 20, 2014 is when we started using EDR. And one of the things that EDR was great at was alerting you when you had a ransomware attack. 
but sure. even if even if you have somebody that responds to that within 15 minutes it's still a huge amount of damage and so we took that that kind of approach of okay we can identify when a ransomware attack is happening so why not have automated triggers that actually do something about it yeah that makes sense so so you mentioned bait files so is that is that just waiting for the ransomware process to to pick it up and try and encrypt it is that sort of the trigger or is it doing something else yep yep that's that's purely um there are some other things that we can do with those with those bait files but in the in the context of CryptoStopper, that's exactly what it is they're they're essentially just deployed out there to be an extra amount of files in folders that you want to be very secured so that when though because users won't typically be interacting with those files and then when you have encryption activity happening on them you pretty pretty much know that that's ransomware sure so i can't say i'm intimately familiar with with all of the nitty-gritty of how ransomware does its business but i guess under the hood is that typically how you see and and i'm sure maybe it varies ransomware strain to to strain but are they are they encrypting individual files as they go, just sort of running through a bunch of files on a file system and encrypting, or is it are they encrypting like the underlying, you know, I guess, um, like on the Linux operating system, like the inodes, like pointing to files, or like or or encrypting like the hard drive at a deeper level, or is it just really just going file by file? So the typical is file by file. I mean, everything that you described there, I've seen variants that do all of those different things. Sure. Um, but the vast majority are scripted attacks that go file by file and typically even alphabetically. Um, but there are there are some that will go randomly and not go alphabetical. There are some that'll go Z to A. Um, but the most common is that they're scripted attacks that are going file by file and encrypting the the files sure um i had another question about ransomware actually maybe you could you could speak to um since you're sort of in that world i was curious with with how ransomware typically spreads within an environment and then performs whatever action it's going to do which is typically i you know one of one of two things you know encrypting or or encrypting and 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 exfilling Right, in order to, yep. to have that sort of second stage uh, ransom effect of saying we're going to release all your data, but in in the way that it it typically performs those actions, I guess the sequence it, does ransomware really seek to spread silently before you know, like get everywhere and then start encrypting, or does it like, or does it as soon as it lands on a place, it starts encrypting and move? I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, like, so it, it does both, it, yeah. and there's really no, I. I I don't know. I haven't seen any stats on um, one, you know, one method over the other. That's more. But anecdotally, I would say the the time bomb scenario, where it doesn't necessarily spread, but where it is, it is sitting. It's on the system already, and it's waiting until seven p.m. on a Friday night to start executing, and um, and then going file by file like we talked i mean that's the most common but there have been variants that will spread throughout the network and then have a time bomb or just start immediately or so it's all over the map sure yeah i'm sure there's far more sophisticated 
ransomware variants out there to to you know more rudimentary ones because exactly yeah i mean it is it literally is all over the map and when you think about um how these attackers are attacking u.s companies and u.s government entities and entities all over the world um they're it, it's so varied from very unsophisticated to very very sophisticated sure and how would you say crypto stopper i guess if you're pairing it with you know traditional more like fully fledged edr systems do you find that there's there's sort of room for both that that crypto stopper fills a gap that that some if not all of the traditional edr products you know yeah. whether there may be a gap yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's why we built it. I mean, that's why we were using it was to fill that gap sure. um, and have that last line of defense so that you're not dependent on, you know, especially even if, if you don't have a security operations team that is continuously monitoring your tools, then having Crypto Stopper there to be that automated defense and stop it. And then even if you do have those advanced tools and have a security operations center, then having Crypto Stopper to take that automated action so that then the security operations center can come back and clean up, you know, the tiny amount of damage rather than if they catch it in 15 minutes and it's 200,000 files. Sure. So I guess for tr for traditional EDR products, is there do you do you think there's a reason why? I mean, just just sort of continuing that thread of why you might want to have both. Um, is do you think there's a reason why traditional EDR products can't do what Crypto Stopper does? Or is um, it just so the the main reason is false positives and dealing with that. And so it's taken us. Um, it's taken us seven years now. I mean, you, you know, go back to that very original PowerShell system and then using it just within our MSP, then building it into a full-fledged um, native Windows driver and, and application and all of the systems behind it. It's really that intellectual property of dialing in our algorithm so that we're not getting false positives. Sure. And then I guess, what is CryptoStopper's ability to communicate with, you know, traditional EDR products, or, or I guess more importantly, like orchestration suites? So the second that if you detect it on one endpoint, you really want to alert this, not only the SOC, but but really EDR, you know, all the other instrumented devices across your organization and say, hey, just so you know, we detected something. It's If it hasn't started coming your way, it might. Right. So the way we're doing it now, and that's something that we're continuously evolving, but right now it's, it, it automatically is going to stop that ransomware attack and then alert the, the SOC on what happened, but it's not taking more automated actions from there. So it's, it's really up to that SOC to determine how they want to automate then the response after that and like i say we're we're continuing to evolve how we respond and and those automated actions too sure yeah i guess i was just curious if there maybe a server-side component or maybe a you know syslog functionality you know that way you could ingest yeah it with a, a normal yeah so there there is a server-side component that we will automatically block an offending so if if it's running across a network share which is a common 
that's a common way for ransomware to spread, then we'll isolate that desktop that's running it or laptop or whatever device is running it. We'll isolate that through a firewall rule and lock it, lock it out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I guess I'm interested in, and in, you don't have to name specific companies or anything, but, and I know you had like the, the video with WannaCry, which is cool, but is, is there any other notable variants of ransomware that, that you guys have stopped, you know, in practice or. Yeah. So jigsaw is one that, um, that we use a lot because it uses the jigsaw character from the saw movies mm-hmm. as the like that's the picture that comes up and it, it is a network variant that'll run across a network. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one that we've used and we've tested against um, hundreds of different different variants. I mean, we're we're continuously testing CryptoStopper against the latest latest variants that are coming out, but it really doesn't matter what the variant is because we're watching for those actions of ransomware. So the so when you think about traditional antivirus and that it's signature based, CryptoStopper is much more on the heuristic side where it's watching for the activity itself rather than a particular variant. Sure. So you have a you have a customer or a, an organization, they have CryptoStopper, they have it sitting in their environment, you know, some sysadmin or, or, or you know, user within the environment has the pop-up says, hey, just so you know, CryptoStopper just stopped a, what we believe to be a potential ransomware attack. Okay, so that's good. I mean, the good news is it stopped it. Yep. What is it that that organization should do at that point? Do they call you? Do they say, hey, your your thing just fired. What does this mean for us? So how do we, how yeah. do we respond from here? Yep, yep. So then, so, and let's add to that that about 50% of ransomware attacks now are completely what we call fileless. I mean, it's not truly fileless, but they're le- leveraging scripting languages off of the existing laptop that can run. So, so in that case, there's really not a necessarily a remediation that has to be done other than going back and determining did this come through email did that user click on something and so so that is that's something that we help our clients with in that remediation effort because we'll identify what it was that was running I mean, we'll identify the process that was running it but i mean a lot of times that's powershell sure so you don't it's not like it's a variant that came in and it's ransomware.exe and you have to go clean that up it's um it's more granular than that and so then helping that organization determine what was the root cause and so we we help with that so does so will it will it by it i mean crypto stopper will it capture to the extent that it it can a timeline of events of like a forensic artifact saying based on what we can see this is this is you know point a or point b or wherever it is to point d and anything before that you know this is where i would look to start figuring out where it may have come in through email or etc but yep yep exactly i mean it, it's our log is capturing all of that 
at the file level. So where it starts and what's executing, we're capturing all of that. And so then can usually pretty easily determine how that, at least point them in the right direction of how that started. Okay. So obviously you when when a, you hear ransomware attacks in the news and and you know they're pretty common these days but uh from from what you've seen do you find that a lot of companies are in i guess poor security posture when it comes to <laughs> ransomware uh yes so very poor uh and I, I mean, the things that you see in the news are just a, I mean, a tiny fraction of what's actually happening. So most companies aren't reporting when they're hit by a ransomware attack. Most of the time, I mean, it's not making the news. So uh, especially when you think about small manufacturers or small retail outlets um, or you know, small law firms, small, you know, any anyone that is not Colonial Pipeline or JBS Foods, right? Those aren't, they're not making the news. And the the security posture, I mean, it, it's, it's not surprising to me anymore. It used to be shocking when I would, when I would get involved in a, in a client deployment and no patch management, no inventory, no, you know, the list just goes on and on and, that used to shock me, but now I'm like, yep, that's normal. Right. And it's, it's sad. I mean, that is changing for sure. Um, and unfortunately it's, it's the attackers that are educating the CEOs of the world, as opposed to who it should be you and I, right. um, we just can't get the message out quickly enough. Sure. Yeah. And, and I've been, I've been involved in, you know, security for, I mean, well over 10 years now. Um, and I've done a lot of, you mentioned sort of, you know, the basic things to get started with ransomware defenses, which is like, you know, you can't protect what you don't know, right? So inventory, right. vulnerability management, right. patch management, these, 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 you know, very traditional, if you want to map it to like the CSF, like identify and, and general, like protect, like, you know, or, or, you know, let's patch our things. Let's understand what we have, right? Start with that. Yep. Um, and then, of course, toward, towards the end, you've talked about talk, talked about backup. Um, but so, one area that I'm particularly interested in in ransomware is, I mean, think uh, for for a ransomware attack to be particularly effective, it either needs to be able to hit a very important device of which there's no backup, or it needs to be able to hit a wide swath of the network, so be able to spread and replicate. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts? around that sort of network layer defense for ransomware. I don't know if that's something that, that maybe crypto, you know, in addition to crypto software one day, because it sounds like it's very, you know, endpoint specific, but I'm curious if you'd be like, if there's some way to instrument network devices with, with, with this in a way that could, could be useful for ransomware. Yeah. Defense. Yeah. So, um, so we do sit at the server level also. And so we'll monitor traditional, server shares and be able to stop at that level. But next iteration will be to look at that network layer and watching that network traffic, because that is the, that's 
the main goal of these attackers is to encrypt as much as they possibly can as quickly as they can. And that in a, in a company environment, that's going to happen across the network. And so that's why we monitor the network shares currently. Um, but then being able to work at a, at a network level and monitoring, I don't know if you have, have, used any network monitoring tools where you can actually monitor at the network layer sure, yeah. uh, and stop it there. That's a natural next evolution for crypto stopper. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so in your, I guess cup marrying up your, your, you know, the ransomware crypto stopper experience with, with your background in, in the MSSP space, what would you say? Cause ransomware gets in maybe in a couple of different ways, but, and maybe phishing is, you know, the primary way in, but I'm curious how you see the, the, the primary way that, you know, ransomware is kind of getting that foothold. Yeah. So phishing is still the primary, but I mean, one thing that is to me is, is, is still a little shocking um, is that there are a bunch that come in through remote desktop where people still have RDP open and they're either uh, gaining network credentials and just literally logging in um, as an admin through RDP, and you know that's that's a vector that we see. Um, and then the supply chain attacks, so uh, like Kaseya, those kind of events. That's where Crypto Stopper is really powerful in stopping a ransomware attack because antivirus is never going to stop that where you've got a known good application that's now running ransomware and not monitoring at the at the file level for that kind of activity and so it's so to answer your original question yes phishing is the still the most common a little over 50 percent of ransomware attacks still come in through phishing and then the other 50 percent is all through all the other vectors, whether that be um, through malicious websites and through scripting, through RDP and other domain, just what we call a hack and attack, um, where they really are hacking in with the intent of running ransomware, and that's the only intent. Um, and and uh, then the supply chain attacks. Sure. So. And maybe this is uh, a roadmap item, or maybe maybe the current iteration of Crypto Stopper um, is you know has some capability in this space. But what are your thoughts on you know? And I, I would say the growing, but it, we're pretty much already there. Um, you know, just workloads and general business being done in the cloud. You know, we've got you know a lot of compute and storage is is all in you know let's uh, let's let's say AWS AWS managed services. Know, things that are using serverless or containers or AWS managed. And I forget the name, I forget if it has a name, but I, I remember seeing a Lambda based ransomware, um, Lambda locker ransomware. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that, but I'm curious what, you know, how does crypto, crypto it, cyber plan or, or just general, what's, what are your thoughts on, on ransomware defense in a, you know, as we're moving away from traditional sure, endpoints? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and I definitely see that. I mean, we're on that trajectory. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about the cloud for the last 
10 years and it's actually starting to happen now. Right. Um, so yeah, so right now we will monitor, Crypto Server will monitor at the file level, but we're working on native uh, Office 365 for OneDrive and uh, Google Workplace are the first two that we're doing because those are the most commonly used in a business setting uh, to natively watch within that cloud environment for that ransomware behavior, just like we do at the endpoint now. It's really just taking our algorithm and what we're doing currently and building that into um, Azure and AWS. Okay. Do you know anything about, I, I actually don't know much about Lambda Locker, so I just want to- uh, I don't actually. That's yeah. one that, that I am not familiar with. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to look into that a little bit myself. Um, so, I, so beyond, I guess beyond the, the product itself, does, does your company offer like, just as I'm thinking about it, um, you know, more, I guess more holistic, like ransomware defense, like strategy type it, consulting, like, you know, yeah, you can get our product and that's great. And it's, as you mentioned, as you put it sort of last line of defense, like if, if that thing goes off, then a lot of stuff failed to get there. But obviously, right. you, you mentioned defense in depth, right? It's a layered defense strategy. So, you know, yes, buy our product, do this thing. But also, before you even get there, maybe these eight other things, right? right so, so that right. you never have to have that trigger. Yeah. So we've built out some materials for that. Hmm. Um, but what we're finding and actually what we're working on now is bundling in an XDR solution that we can provide a... A, a sock behind that and um, and managed antivirus. And then um, the other piece is the SaaS monitoring. So knowing whether, whether or not all of your users have multi-factor authentication turned on and making sure that that's rather than just being manually audited, which companies aren't doing that anyway, um, but have an automated monitoring system of the SaaS solutions. So yeah, we're, we're actively building those additional products. And because again, I, I think like Crypto Stopper was built as a point product specifically to stop the ransomware attack that's gotten past the other defenses. But what we're finding is that companies don't even have those other defenses. True. Yeah. A lot of 101 not, not, not really being followed. And I do think people, and by people, I just mean organizations tend to focus on, you know, it, I think advanced capabilities, you know, the shiny things, the shiny tools, the marketing, and less so, um, you know, without proper direction on, okay, th th those things are great. And we definitely could use that eventually, but I, I don't know why we need, you know, insert advanced tooling here if we're not doing the super basic stuff right? exactly yeah like you got to start with those with those basics and get the general hygiene the things that we've already talked about like get those things down first and then layer on the more advanced tools sure. because i it, the misconfiguration like you can go buy the most advanced next gen XDR AV solution, and if it's not configured properly, sure, yeah. then what's the point? 
Well, there's that too. Yeah, I mean, if if I guess if you don't have the capability in house to do the basic things, then you likely don't have the manpower to to, to operate in a, an advanced tool set unless it's I don't know fully managed by somebody. But even then, you want you got to wonder about you know who's selling you that product when you're not doing the basic things. Right. Right. So yeah, beyond ransomware, I know you're. I know ransomware's has has a, a particular place in your heart since you started a whole company about it. But is there are there other I guess in terms of existential threats in the cybersecurity world, is there what what else are you concerned about? So I I mean some of the biggest things that I'm concerned and this is probably not um not gonna be new information to you, but just the right now with Russia and the potential threats to our power grid, I mean that's you you would think and we all would assume that our uh, utility companies have the best security of any any entities out there and it's not the case i mean they're getting better um but i mean that that is a, a question that i get often of you know somebody hears a news story and like should we be worried about our our power grid being taken down and unfortunately the answer is yes yeah, no, I, I have some experience in that space. I actually, for, for a number of years, I worked for a, uh, an organization that worked closely with rural electric utilities um, yeah. throughout the country. And um, though, I, though I was specifically on the corporate security side of the house and not so much on the, on the individual utility, utility side, yeah. utility side um, I did do, because, because of that adjacency, I, I, gained an interest in in OT security and you know took some training and, and learned a little bit about it and, and um, you know met with some some various leaders in the in the in, across those electric co-ops and talked about their their you know security challenges and what their security posture was and I mean it couldn't be more true that you know th- there's not a lot of investment there they a lot of them are very small shops and they don't have a lot of um, you know, personnel or funding or capability in the security space. And I think a lot of that best practice stuff is not there, you know, that, you know, I mean, simple things such as, you know, making sure there's a logical divide or, or a, a you know, a, a trust zone between the OT and IT environments, um, you know, making sure that your, your OT related things aren't just wide open on the internet, you know, Shodan can go crawl and find it, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there, I mean, there's been a lot of focus on that. Uh, so I do think that that is changing, but it, it hasn't changed rapidly enough. Yeah. One, one thing, and again, not an expert on, on this uh, by any means, I, you know, it's more like I stayed at a holiday Inn express last night or something. If you're familiar <laughs> with that. Um, but you know, just in, in the, in the realm of what would a practical attack look like against you know our you know whether it be the grid or other or other um you know things in the industrial control world um whether from like a state-sponsored actor or russia or whoever it may be do you, would you see that as like more of like a, a very specific attack because because my understanding of the grid or 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 really of of you know what an assault would look like would be something that would have to be highly coordinated and very distributed um, in order to take down like various pieces at once. 
Um, because otherwise, you know, I don't know, a single attack against the grid in a, in a, in a region, yeah, would be bad, but not particularly devastating. Yeah. And, and that's, that's my feeling too. Like I don't necessarily feel that a, a Russian attack could take down our entire grid. I, I mean, I could, I'm not an expert in, in that either. Um, but I think it would be much more of a localized event. Um, the problem is if that, like, like we saw in Texas, um, year before last with the, with the power outages that they had, I mean, that was devastating in itself and had a ripple effect. So if you look at like, I live, I live in rural Iowa and, and am on a rural co-op. If our co-op got taken down, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if the Portland utilities, if they were taken down or Chicago, if you took down a large metropolitan area, it would be devastating quickly. And so, so yeah, I, I don't think that we have the threat necessarily and I knock on wood as I say this that the entire US grid could be taken down I think it would be um, more isolated but if it's in a metropolitan area would be would be devastating for that area yeah I see it as more like I mean it certainly would be bad depending on who they you know if it if they could succeed in that in that sort of style attack you know where they could hit if they could take down a larger metropolitan area but even even any small attack you know with that being attributed to Russia or some other state actor I see it as like a psychological win you know for yeah. for them to you know I, the american public or the world would be like you know name your country has the capability to to you know, affect the physical world in that way is, is something particularly terrifying about it. Yeah. Well, and you think about the particular, you know, the fallout from that could be much worse than the initial event, um, depending on how we responded. Yeah. I think now coupling that idea, like if you want to, you know, dream up the nightmare scenarios around OT or, or you know, general um, critical utility attacks and couple that with what we've seen recently with these supply chain attacks. And you, you start to wonder, you know, is there some commonality amongst these critical utilities or, or you know, electric utilities and the types of software or vendors that they rely on? And could there be you know, a, a solar wind style thing where you've got a lot of vendor, a lot of utilities, they're all using the same tool, uh, you know, a very yeah. APT persistent style threat, you know, is able to, to run a supply chain attack, get in everywhere, lay dormant, and then, you know, right. be able to pull off Activate. a very, yeah, you know, distributed, um, you know, coordinated attack. That's the, that's the scary one right there, I think. Right, right. Absolutely. And, and it's not, out of the realm of possibility. Sure, yeah, I mean, right. I, we've I, seen it now, right? Yeah, I mean, not yeah. to that, not to that extent, but we've seen a very successful, very coordinated, you know, stealthy, distributed supply chain attack, right, which had countless victims, and we've also seen, you know, targeted, you know, OT, you know, uh, attacks against utilities that were successful that had, you know, real, you know, physical, tangible impacts. Right. So. You know, marrying those up, it's not. I mean, it's not. Um, I mean, you can 
there's a threat model out there for it, right? It's not infeasible. Absolutely. Scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 job security for you and I. True, yeah. I it is it is one of those um it's, fu- it's funny you mentioned that cuz it's one of those things where every time I see like a ransomware attack or this attack or that attack I say, "Well, you know what? That's that's some somewhere so, somewhere out there there's an organization throwing funding at security now, which is good for bad for some people, but good for me. Yeah, you know, well, and that's why I said earlier uh, that the attackers are educating the marketplace, and that's unfortunate. But I truly believe that that's that's what we're seeing happening, and and I have seen in the last uh, in the last two years, there's definitely been a shift in the executive leadership and CEO level of taking cybersecurity seriously. And it's, it is finally starting to happen. I feel like I've been screaming it for 10 years and people haven't been listening. And now the attacks have become so prevalent that, that people are listening now. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I think security is, is, you know, much more within like the mind's eye for organizations. And I think that, you know, to your point about attackers educating us, I mean, I think there's some truth there for sure. I think at the bleeding edge for defense and offense, you see this back and forth where, you know, offense might may lead and come up with these new tactics and, you know, we catch up and, and, you know, block a bunch of stuff, but then it's, it's this back and forth, but that's really at the bleeding edge. The, the top attackers and the top defenders have this have this game, but the you know less I don't educate is not a good word, but the less I mean there's a lot of organizations that can't stay at the bleeding edge, so they're left right. behind right. as as you know there's this you know arms race you know on, on on sort of the advanced end. So for organizations that are you know aren't able to employ the all the next gen stuff aren't able to, you know, have dedicated threat intelligence experts and this and that, you know, it's really one of these like scary prospects. Like, you know, sure. Google can do all this stuff, but how do we? Yeah. Well, and for the, for the average business or government entity, they're the attackers that are coming after them are those lower level attackers and they're using vulnerabilities or using tactics that were bleeding edge a year ago and so you know i you're absolutely right in that cat and mouse game going on but the average business just needs to do the they just need to make themselves a harder target and they're going to protect themselves so much better so doing the the layered security and starting with inventory and patch management and managed AV and managed EDR, those are really easy things. Well, I say easy. They're very accessible things that an IT department can do now. It's not necessarily easy, takes some manpower, but it's not bleeding edge and it's not difficult. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a great point. Um, and something that I have preached for some time you know it's it's very easy to basically look at all the things that i just said around all of the scariest things that exist in the world and all of the super awesome things that you know the the bleeding edge researchers are doing to combat those things and say we'll never get there 
but to what exactly what you just said, which is you don't need to security at, at like when you distill it down to its like base fundamental elements is not that complicated, you know, know what you have, reduce your attack surface patch. We've been doing vulnerability scanning and patching for years. That's not, I mean, yeah, there's, there's new ways to maybe automate certain things or, you know, move to the cloud. And there's, there's some new paradigms for doing the same things we've always done, but they haven't changed. We're still like, if you look at CIS top, whatever controls, whatever it is now, 18, those haven't changed. The fundamentals are the same. The way we do it can vary from, from the very rudimentary to the, to the more advanced. But if you're, if you're doing the basic stuff, you're, you're certainly blocking out the low level style attacks. And if you're, if your threat landscape is you're worried about APTs, well, then you probably should have some more security funding, but most people aren't like that, right? Most organizations don't have to worry about a targeted persistent attack from, from, you know, a, endless supply of money russian state actors or something exactly i mean the the threats that the average business needs to worry about is commodity style attacks yeah you know steve the accounting guy opening an email that he shouldn't have i mean that that's you know that's the kind of attack that is most prevalent that's going to hit a business and take them down because of ransomware so protect against those those things first sure what are your thoughts on and i I talked about this and actually in an episode when what's the what was the pipeline uh the colonial pipeline Uh, colonial colonial pipeline so when that happened i and i'm not again i'm not a ransomware expert or anything but we talked about the like briefly the concept of this ransomware as a service i'm curious what your thoughts are on now this new Maybe it's new, maybe it's not, but it's a, it's in the in the modern cyber zeitgeist. It's now this this concept of you know a an organization that is you know, I guess a more centralized organization that's facilitating. Okay, we have the ransomware. You bring us access. So now it's it's uh, you know facilitating this ability for insiders or um, you know black market. O'Day type people to come and make a lot of money easily because they, you know, there's this, um, you know, backbone, right. That can, that provides these sort of, you know, you know, black market services. I mean, what are your thoughts on ransomware? Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to continue to evolve and expand because it makes sense from a business model. So when you take, when you take cybercrime and look at it as a business model, then ransomware as a service makes complete sense. And when you add to that, that none of that activity is illegal in Russia. So as a Russian citizen, if we were Russian citizens, we could go perpetrate ransomware crimes, what I, you know, what we consider crimes, and it's completely legal in Russia as long as you're not attacking Russian companies so when you put it into that context and look at it from a business model standpoint and how these cyber criminals because these aren't the the hackers you know everyone thinks of a hacker in a hoodie in his mom's basement that's not who we're talking about here Mm -hmm. we're talking about very organized very intelligent business people that are perpetrating these these crimes yeah for sure 
one thing so so one element to ransomware is obviously they're you know after they encrypt or exfil and they're doing this stuff they're they're looking to solicit money from you and i guess traditionally that a lot of that's been done via crypto payments and i know the u.s like and the federal sector they've been doing a lot to you know and i'm not a i'm not a web3 or crypto uh currency expert by any means but um you know to to track payments across these you know um decentralized you know crypto platforms if I mean, and I, I guess I don't even really know what my question is here, but what are your thoughts around how ransomware operators will continue to be successful in, in soliciting these ransoms if it becomes harder and harder for them to do so on the platforms they've traditionally done it on? I don't know if you know anything about yeah, cryptocurrency. Yeah, so, so I do, I mean, I do think that the cryptocurrency tracking ability of our federal law enforcement has become better but when you look at and again i'm certainly not an expert in this field um but when you look at at least what we've seen in the news i i know of three instances where they've actually been able to track back to the actual individuals and so when you think about the the millions of ransomware attacks that are happening and we know of three cases and there's likely more um, where they've actually been able to track it back it's it's a small amount so i mean i think that that is something that governments around the world are trying to get their hands around is how do we how do we regulate cryptocurrency and how do we track back who's actually you know that's that's the whole point of cryptocurrency is being decentralized so that the government can't track it. Uh, so, I mean, I think that cryptocurrency is going to, the whole intent is going to be to stay one step ahead of that regulation. And so I see that evolution happening. I think federal governments are going to get better at being able to track that back. But the the intent and the point of cryptocurrency is to avoid that. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Do you think have you have you seen in your travels with ransomware? Have you seen a and this would be attributed to to the actual group perpetrating the the ransomware? Have you seen it done for for non like monetary reasons? It, just like like so it, it's something that I mean it's something that I haven't seen a lot of just because it's not the circles that I that I work in but there is one out right now that is pushing people to donate to charity so so it's monetary uh, in a way but not but it, yeah but there's way. not a monetary gain for the perpetrators necessarily um so yeah I mean and I've seen others where they're more like gray hat hackers which again yeah I'm not sure what they're in, intent is necessarily other than educating um which is in my opinion not a not a great way to do that sure uh so yeah i mean there are other outcomes but i mean the the sad thing is is just as devastating I mean, if it's a ransomware attack and they're asking you to make a charity payment to unlock your files and your entire company is down yeah what's 
yeah, I was curious. Maybe it's like maybe you'd see one more like political in nature where, you know, they, you know, ransomware a company and say we're not gonna release all your stuff or decrypt all your stuff until you make this public stance or you change this about your corporate policy. I don't know if yeah, I, I don't, and, I can't think of anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything like that. But the thing is, we likely wouldn't. <laughs> you know, I, I I haven't been directly involved. Um, but in a, in so many cases, the companies that are hit, they whether it's a traditional ransomware attack or some other kind of you know a, attack with a different purpose, like we're not necessarily going to hear about that. I mean, we hear about Colonial Pipeline because it stopped the flow of gas to forty five percent of the East Coast. That's going to make the news. Sure. Um, whereas an event that's much more um, less impacting, I guess I would say that's never going to come out in the news. Yeah. Um, you mentioned education, um, like by gray hats, right? They think that, you know, whatever it may be. So, and I noticed on, on the site, on the crypto stopper um, site that you had a, a ransomware simulator. Is that, is that like something that you would have an organization deploy to demonstrate? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we actually built our own um, friendly ransomware. Sure. Uh, it, it does it have a it name? has uh, ransomware simulator. That's what we call it, <laughs> crypto sim. Um, so it, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. I mean, it's it's a tool to test the defenses. So to test whether you have crypto stopper or not. Um, to see if you if your system would be able to stop a scripted ransomware attack. So I see it's under the free tools section. So if an organization were to go grab that and just and and detonate it in their environment, what what would it do? Uh, without, so it without... comes up. It 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 gives you plenty of warnings uh, and says this is going to encrypt files. There's actually a decryptor that comes along with it too. So. Um, even if someone would accidentally encrypt production files, they can decrypt them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it comes up, allows you to choose the folder, which you want to choose test data that you're going to go and attack uh, and run a, run a simulated ransomware attack. Sure. I'm not advocating this by any means. And I, and I know there's, there's other resources to find stuff like this, but is there do, is there any concern that somebody could take your free ransomware, reverse engineer it a bit and, so that you know change what is essentially the the encryption? Yeah, um, so we, we had those discussions, um, and it, there's I don't even know how many. There's plenty of them on GitHub, right? That you could go get anyway, um, and or on the dark web if you wanted to. It's like there's so many open source, open source and paid versions that you could go buy in right. addition to. Uh, uh, it, the risk is the risk is low enough that I'm I'm not so much more of it out there that I'm not concerned about that. Sure. Yeah. From the standpoint of if someone does it, it's they could do it a hundred other ways or a thousand other ways also. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not, and of course it's, I, I understand a very simplistic version of a ransomware to just demonstrate the capability of the tool. But I, so there's a very 
you might be familiar, there's a very lively, ongoing, and, and somewhat heated debate around offensive security tooling on like InfoSec Twitter and, yep. you know, I guess some, the morality of, of, you know, continuing to produce it. And obviously the intent is for security teams, specifically like offensive security minded teams to use it to test your defenses. But of course, and, and Cobalt Strike's a good example, you know, attackers, malicious entities have been using Cobalt Strike, you know, which is intended to be a tool for, for validating your defenses to, to perform you know, malicious campaigns. And it's been, been that way for years. And I'm, and I, you know, this is sort of pivoting, but I, it would be, I'm sure upsetting for you if you were to somehow find that a variant of your ransom sim was like taken and, and, you know, turned into some, um, not that it would, because again, it's very simplistic and meant to be easily decrypted and, and pulling apart. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just sort of interesting conversation around, the idea of you know publishing um yeah open source and in my and this is my opinion completely but i think that we need more of that open source offensive security tools out there because the attackers are the only thing that that does it, it allows the proliferation of less sophisticated attackers but it doesn't diminish the sophisticated attackers that are already out there so i think the overall net positive is is better to have more of those tools available yeah no totally agree uh you've seen some leaks of i mean nsa Conti. I mean, there's been there's been a number of different high profile leaks of offensive security tooling, even with like you know public companies. I think there was one Twitch um, had had a tools leak. I mean, there's been a number of them, and what you find the the common theme is you know, some of them may be using Cobalt Strike, but a lot of them they have custom tooling, right? And and it's not something. I mean, less so these days because I think just as a security population we've all become better, especially at the top end, is that you know we have the capability to build our own C2 frameworks, to build our own exploit frameworks, to build our own this, or to build our own that. So um, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I'm on the same side as you in terms of the, I'm getting a call, how do I turn that off? Um, in terms of, I don't know why that that's not on mute. Now it's just going off. I don't know if you can hear that. I don't know how to turn it off. Um, this is this is technology for you. All the all the advanced capabilities in the world can't stop me from getting notifications when I don't want them. Um, but you know, I, I'm with you sort of on the on that on you know the the two sides of that offensive security debate. Um, I think it's I think it's doing more good than it's bad because it's out there anyways. Yeah. Whether whether you know people want to publish it or not, it's you know it's going to make the rounds. Exactly. Yeah, and I think the more that we have those tools available to us and the the more robust that community is then the better we all become yeah and i do it accelerates i think you know the ability for you know tools like crypto stopper to come to be if you know i think it 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 there's this um you know proliferation of knowledge and the ability to you know, test something like Cobalt Strike, even better that attackers are using it. Now we have the actual tool that they're using and we can build, and this is the reason why I think actually recently I've been seeing a bunch of stuff about how Cobalt Strike's becoming less and less used for this very reason is that it's becoming 
easier to identify. Right. So that's like right. sort of sort of the whole reason behind it is that, you know, having access to these to as much of this tooling as possible gives us the ability to build detection and, and defend ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, I think we beat ransomware to death and we're coming up like close to an hour. <laughs> I don't know if you if you had any other topics or wanted to had any questions for me or. Yeah, I mean, I, we didn't talk about your background at all, so give give us all a little little bit of your background sure yeah i've um you know in the in the security space i guess i you know i've been a little bit all over the place really i've worked for a number of different organizations large and small in different sectors everything from you know government consulting to uh you know big tech to not not you know not for profit space i mentioned the the, the organization that worked with the electric co-ops um, so I've worked sort of all over the place and I've worked across a number of different domains. So everything from, you know, vulnerability management, more like traditional security engineering, application security, offensive security. So I've sort of worked all over the place. So I've, I think at this point, you know, I like to, you know, I definitely consider myself sort of a security generalist, um, but I've, I've sampled so much. And I think, you know, after now having been in InfoSec for 12-ish years now, I, I think what I find interesting about it is, is really everything. <laughs> I mean, I, um, and I think that's what, you know, has drawn me to come out with a podcast and do the blogging and all this stuff. And I, um, you know, I think I, I just find it sort of genuinely interesting. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's an exciting field to be in. Um, you know, as we've, as the last hour has taught us, there's, it's, I mean, it's constantly evolving. It's, super you know super dynamic super interesting a lot of challenges yet to be solved and those aren't going away because there's a lot of money to be made for attackers which means there's a lot of money and interesting things to be done on the on the defense side yeah i yeah i completely agree i mean it's it's a market that changes every single day and so it's always interesting sure and i think you know the i mean security as a specific discipline follows it right we are in, in ot for what it's worth but I, as it moves security must so as we moved from on-prem to cloud well now we have this entirely new thing that we have to understand from a security perspective understand and secure and do so in a new you know i i mean as i as i mentioned before the fundamentals don't really change but how you implement those you know security controls may and there may be newer better ways to do it so IT moves very quickly, and security has to move as qu you know as quick, if not quicker. You know, trying to get ahead of, of yeah. where IT is moving. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's I see it as a a boundless you know like endless supply of interesting challenges um, and you know things to learn and 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 you know stay interested in what you do. And that's I think, and I and it's that's I, I would say that's somewhat true for a lot of fields, a lot of fields are, then there's not a lot of fields that are completely static. Um, but I don't, but I think if you were to compare, I mean, security is just moves that much quicker, I think. It, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is ever evolving and I don't see that changing in the near future. I mean, I think once we get to the point where we have some, I don't know that, I don't know we'll ever have true AI, but as the machine learning is becoming better and we can stop threats in a much more automated way, I think it will get easier, 
for us, but I see that as being um, seven to 10 years out. And that, you know, tools like CryptoStopper, where that advanced algorithm is taking automated action, that's that's where we need to get to across the cybersecurity spectrum. And I think we're seven to 10 years out from that. So do you see that as, as, and maybe this is a better way of putting it, but for lack of a better way of putting it, sort of the silver bullet in security is some AI, some some all-seeing ubiquitous agent or some way to instrument everything in your environment with some AI, some centralized AI intelligence that's saying that's bad, that's good, and we know this because we're doing this in real time and we understand all. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that's the that's a very dramatic. That's the, the ultimate goal and sure. and i don't know that we'll ever get there but that's where we're going i think sure and maybe it's probably a conversation for another day and i certainly don't know enough about ai to to, to have a, a a particularly educated conversation about it but i i see some parallels with ai as being the defense for for you know what is the traditional you know i guess the current slate of attacks we're seeing in you know in the industry um, I see I see some parallels between that and what were our concerns with with quantum cryptography. For me, I see quantum computing as being, you know, that's that's the that's people are concerned with quantum computing because that breaks that could potentially break modern cryptography. But yeah. I also see, I mean, if if quantum computing can break modern cryptography, can't quantum computing also facilitate the creation <laughs> of quantum you know cryptographic it, algorithms that that would then solve its own problem but but i see that as like with ai being the silver bullet for defense how can a you know malicious actors use ai to then combat ai being the silver bullet you know what yeah I mean? I mean and that's that's ha i mean to some degree happening already where the attackers are using ai uh, and machine learning to determine how many different systems they're already going to evade sure. before they launch their attacks. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's it really is uh, an arms race to defend the network. And again, I mean, that's that's bleeding edge, right. and the average business just needs to do the basics today so get the basics right and then let's worry about bleeding edge as we move forward yeah absolutely no better advice than that yeah. all right well this has been fun today yeah greg i agree it's been it's been really fun um i like i think um you know, I think we got off. I mean, we started. We obviously talked about ransomware a lot, but I think not not, not having a single item on the agenda. I think we got into some really cool areas. So, absolutely, a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, yeah, you too, Mike.